Thought Leaders, a closer look for the curious. Welcome um, to Ask a Writer, 30 Minutes with Una Mannion. I'm Una, and thank you very much um, to everyone who's watching today and who sent in questions um, about, about writing and the writing process. Uh, I'll just tell you a little bit about myself. I'm Una Mannion. I'm program chair of the Writing and Literature BA at IT Sligo. I've been writing for about seven or eight years. I started in Sligo with a writing group. Um, probably uh, there was about 10 of us at the start and maybe about seven diehards that stuck together. And initially we were writing stories that we shared with the group. And eventually we started to submit those stories to journals and competitions. And a group of us, you know, in fact, all of us started to get some, you know, we were getting shortlisted. We sometimes got published in journals. And so that was really exciting. And we also started to step into, I suppose, going to writing festivals and really stepping into the fray and trying to be part of a, a writing community. In about 2018, I started working on a novel, um, which was published last year with Faber in the UK and with HarperCollins in the US. It's called A Crooked Tree. Um, it was my debut novel. And so what I'm hoping to a lot of the questions today have are about how to get published, that process. So I can share with you my experience and, and what I've learned from, from my friends who write in, and who are getting published. Um, so I'm gonna go ahead and um, I have a pile of questions here that have come in. And the first question is, how do you feel when you write? Um, and I, I was, the answer to that could be dreadful. I feel dreadful, but I, I, I think I'd like to answer that question um, writing isn't easy, but I think what I would say is that I know how I feel when I don't write. And when I don't write, I feel that I've miss, I'm missing something or a part of me is missing. I feel that I've left, like it's like leaving something in a restaurant and you're miles down the road. Something, something is missing for me. It makes me anxious. And so the only way to work through that and to feel good about myself um, and to feel productive is to keep writing and that discipline. So I think, you know, that that question was really interesting to me because I really thought it's it's how I feel when I don't write. And when I sit down to write, sometimes it's the blank page and staring into nothing and nothing's happening and that's frustrating. And then there is these golden moments where where the keyboard and the screen disappear and you're in it and there's just flow and it's happening and you've forgotten, you know, everything else has disappeared. And those moments don't happen that often. And to get them, you have to have that discipline of, I think, arriving at the desk every day and, and sitting through those times that don't feel so good um, and are frustrating and you might not want to be there, um, but you, but those, those, moments, um, those moments will happen. Um, Sylvia Plath has a beautiful moment in a, a poem called Black Rook and Rainy Weather, exactly about that, um, that, that moment. Um, and she, she refers to it as an angel at her elbow, you know, that where, where something happens and you're in a, in a trance and, and things flow for you. Um, so the next question, um, what part of writing, what part of writing is the most difficult part? Um, and I, I thought about this 
um, in that sometimes in some ways the writing has two parts. Um, I think there's the first draft part where you're writing where you have an idea, but it doesn't know what it quite is yet. So you're writing um, onto a blank page. You're not sure what's going to come next. Um, it's uncertain. It's scary. Um, you feel like you're writing into an abyss. Um, it's lonely, um, but you have to keep, you know, you, you write forward. And I think that part um, is, it for me personally, is the more difficult part, is getting the story down, getting the getting the, the first bits on the page. And the first drafts are always terrible. And I've had to reassure myself about that, um, that if I try to make it too perfect, I'll never get, I'll never write forward and I'll never get that white, you know, writing in white heat, that, that energy of just writing forward. And sometimes great writing happens when you don't overthink it too much. The second part of the writing, which is, I suppose, is the revisioning, revision and editing part. I really enjoy that part. Um, you're, you're um, going in like a sculptor and you're excising out and you're moving things around and you're shaping it. Um, there's a lot of cutting. There's a lot of streamlining and cutting out all the extraneous elements. And I, I guess like in sculpture, and I know it's an overused metaphor, but something starts to come a shape and you start to see what the, what the piece is. Um, and it's sometimes it's not what you thought it was when you were in that first phase and you were uncertain, you know, and I, I think um, for me personally, um, I find that first part is hard and difficult, um, the blank page and, and just getting started. Some people are plotters, you know, they plot. And so they don't, maybe they don't have that feeling of uncertainty. I'm not a great plotter. I tend to write to discover what's going to happen. Um, and I guess there's something about that whole element of uncertainty, which is also about possibility. You know, anything could happen. Um, Stephen King loves to talk about that what if, you know, he, he's, he's not a plotter. He says he's never plotted even half a page of a story, but he asks the question, what if, and just goes like, what if this crazy thing happened? Or what if, you know, someone did something? So the next question is, I started a PhD this year and wondered what tips or advice you have how to balance work and home life. I have two young children. Um, yeah, I think this is a really good question about whether you're doing academic writing or creative writing, how you uh, safeguard um, writing time and how you balance that with all the other demands of work and, and children. I, I did a PhD um, a number of years ago before I started creative writing, and I didn't finish the PhD until I had children. <laughs> And I, and I can't explain that except to say that when my time got diminished and I had these other commitments, I started to use time very differently and I started to safeguard the time that I had. So my advice or tip, tips would be to have designated times where you really do get space um, to, to write and to ring fence that. The other tip I would have is that I think I researched um, for like five years too long um, and never stepping. So whether you're doing academic writing or creative writing, there are times where you just need to start writing and stop the research and stop all, you know, and, and 
allow there to be work, something to work with. So I recommend, you know, start writing. Um, the other thing is, is that, I, and I still hold this to be true, that I personally need long, immersive stretches of time when I'm working. I really love that being in the, in the story and it's all I think about and it's all I'm asked to think about. But the reality is, is that none of our lives are like that. And I got much better at using small spurts of time. So like getting up at five in the morning and writing from five to eight, um, sitting in the car with my laptop and getting arriving for the school pickups like an hour early. You know, I can't, I, I just have the laptop and there's nothing else to distract me. So getting really economical with how I use time and... I mean, I, you know, it took me a really long time to write my PhD, so I'm the last person that should be ever giving anybody advice on how to work-life balance and write a PhD. Um, but I do think that that it can be done, and and it's also to prioritize your work. And I know from teaching that when I had students that would be in front of me that day, I always prioritized the lecture because they would be in front of me, and even though the lecture was written, I would still be you know, fine tuning it and tweaking it. When I had this other project that really needed my attention and it's easy to put off your stuff. It's easy to prioritize everybody else's learning, their their well-being. And I think you have to value the work that you're doing and and set boundaries around that. And for me that was a that took me a very long time to do. I've only I feel like I've only started to do that around the writing in recent years. So um thank you for that that question and good luck with the with the PhD. So there's a few questions. Um I'm going to read um the the next few questions all relate to publishing. Um the first one is what do you need to have ready to approach a publisher? How difficult is it to publish books today? And what is the likelihood of work being published without an agent or support from someone established in industry? Is it a waste of time? Um, so I'd, I'm going to sort of treat those questions collectively. And I'm speaking from my own experience and maybe from what I know from talking to other writers and talking to agents and, and publishers. Um, I, I taught a module last year called Publishing um, and Professional Practice. And each week we had visiting uh, professionals from, from, they were agents, they were editors, they worked in publishing houses. And it was, it was really useful to hear what they had to say to our students also about, about getting published. Most agents and publishing houses seem to be interested in full manuscripts. So it used to be someone might send uh, like the first 10,000 words of a manuscript. And that can still happen because the idea is so brilliant or it had such a hook. But generally, um, and my own experience was that the agent was looking for a full man finished manuscript um, to submit. You can approach a publishing house directly, but most people would try to get an agent first. And having an agent who has looked at your work, who then approaches publishing the publishing houses, um, is really useful. Um, 
And my advice would be that if you're sending work to an agent, you really want the work to be as good as it can be. And I do think that the kind of support you might look for at that time is like having a writing group or having a friend who's, you know, editing skills you trust or someone you trust as a reader. Um, but sometimes you have one shot with an agent and I think you should um, really, really make the most of that one shot and not send something that, that may not be ready. To find an agent and to send work to an agent, I would really recommend that you look at authors you like, where you think there's a good fit. So you don't just randomly send it to any agent, but you send it to a specific agent and you tell them why the, why there's a fit between what you've written and the kind of books that they've published. And in your statement of interest letter, when you're writing this introductory or query letter to an agent, you're, you're explaining exactly what that fit is. Um, and my, I guess there are, you know, if you're interested um, in finding, like there's a book called The Writers and Artists Yearbook. It comes out every year. It's published by Bloomsbury. It comes, so for the 2022, the book probably came out in last summer. And there are sections on literary agents, um, prizes, competitions, festivals, how to self-publish, because that's another option that increasingly some books have done really well from, from the self-publishing process. Um, so you can find agents that way. Um, there's a website, Jericho um, Writers. It's a UK, I think it's a UK-based group. They have a list of all the UK agents and the kinds of books they publish. So you could look them up. There's also um, Poetry Ireland um, is a great resource in Ireland. And if you go there and look at literary, literary agents in Ireland, you'll see all the agents um, who, who, who operate in Ireland. And there's, there's you know, I, I think probably about 20 times more in the UK than there are in Ireland. And a lot of Irish writers, including myself, have agents in the UK. Um, just, I, I do think um, it helps to have started to try to step into the fray, as I mentioned earlier, like going to festivals, trying to get stories published, um, doing the competitions. I did the, um, I entered uh, a poem in the New Irish Writing, the Hennessy Award in the Irish Times. It's now, it's now run by the Independent, but at the time it was the Irish Times. And that poem was selected and published, and then it won that year, it won the overall uh, New Poetry Award. And that gave me a, a, like a foot up, and I didn't know anyone. It was the very first thing I ever published. So, you know, it's not a closed club, you know, which is kind of great that they read everything that comes in and everybody, it's a level playing field. But, but having started that process, and entering story competitions, um, I started to, I suppose people became aware of what I was doing. And I was very lucky in that someone, an Irish writer called Sinead Gleeson, um, who she she edited um, The Art of the Glimpse, 100 Irish Short Stories. Um, she had judged a number of competitions that, that I had won. And she sent copies of my stories to her agent, um, Peter Strauss, Peter Strauss at RCW in in London, and he contacted me, 
And he said, I'm interested, I like the voice, you know, in, in the stories, but I'm interested in a novel and I heard you're working on one. And so, and would you let me have a read when you're finished? So I think that was like in October and I kind of started working like, you know, all day, every day, you know, because I had this, I had this goal and that was great to have that. And he, he read the manuscript in, in January and signed me and, and then, and then sold the book, um, to, to Faber. So I, I had an agent and that made things quite easy for me, but there are publishing houses that accept direct submissions and they open their submission windows at certain times of the year. In Ireland, Tramp Press, um, who've published, you know, Sarah Baum, Mike McCormick, Durney Griffna, like there are so many great writers on there that they've published. They read every manuscript. So you can send Tramp Press a manuscript directly. Um, and the two women who, who run that press are, are brilliant and they've done so much for Irish writing. Um, Lily Putt Press also accepts direct submissions. Um, but sometimes you'll contact, you know, the questions were about approaching a publisher. And a lot of publishers will say, we don't accept submissions for fiction. Um, you know, you must come through a literary agent. Not all, but but a lot of them do. Um, and that kind of, that actually, a number of the questions, the, the next cluster of questions actually were about uh, publishing children's books. Um, so one, one person is asked, I want to write a children's book for ages three to eight. Is it difficult to get this age group published since there are so many books for that age group? Um, and the second question is, hi, I'd love to create children's books. How do I get published? I've written my book and I can only seem to find one Irish publisher who publishes five or six books a year. Um, so earlier I mentioned the Bloomsbury, um, the Writers and Artists Yearbook, and it's like a Bible. There's one for children's publish for children's publishing, and it's the Children's Writers and Artists Yearbook. Um, and in that, you'll see straight away all the um, the agents that deal specifically with children's literature. Um, and again. As as I was talking about earlier with the, with the, a manuscript, um, there's a lot of things that I suppose you want to have the manuscript as ready as it can be. With children's publishing, um, there are children's publishers who take submissions directly. So Bloomsbury, um, Harcourt, um, Harcourt Mifflin, um, they have submission windows where you can send a children's book. I guess because there's they like a book for you know, the age group of three to eight has a much shorter word count. So they probably can read more books. But again, have the book ready. Make sure, you know, that you've worked on developing character and um, that, that you know, it, that it has voice and that it doesn't fall into cliche and all those sort of rules around, around writing. Um, and when you're looking for an agent, find an agent that deals specifically with children's books. So for instance, I just in advance of this, I looked at my own um, agency's um, website, and they have ch a children's literature section. And, and then it says, um, please do not send children's literature to any agent. 
please send it to the relevant agent. And then you can search in their agents and there's a filter for children. And then it came up, there are three agents in that agency that deal specifically with children's literature, um, you know, everything from age three to eight up to, to YA or young adult fiction. So my advice would be find, again, find an, I would initially look for an agent. Um, but people self-publish and books do really, you know, books increasingly do really well, um, self-published books. And, and there's all these platforms in which to like promote and sell your book. And again, the children's, uh, writers and artists yearbook has a section on self-publishing and advice. And you have the experience of all these people who've done it before. Um, and some of whom are, you know, are working as full-time children's authors. Um, so I hope I've, uh, that answers the, the publishing questions. The next question is, where is your favorite place in Sligo to get inspiration to write? Um, and it's, I, I think we're so lucky, like living in Sligo. I spend a lot of time outdoors. Um, I, I walk every morning in the woods and I spend a lot of time around Colina Moor and Strand Hill. Um, and really everywhere you go, it's quite, uh, brisk, you know, the, the Atlantic uh, winds. And, you know, I always feel revived after I've been outside and, and ready to write. I never write outside. Um, and I probably don't write about specific locations. But I think there's something about the landscape here and the people's, um, the history of people on this landscape and the way every, where you walk has a place name and this kind of, the, these stories connected to place has been very influential um, in me even starting to write. And the first things I wrote about, for example, the poem that I submitted to the Irish Times for the New Irish Writing that, that won the Hennessy Award was based on a an excavation that took place in Cullinamore in my family's field in 1981, where they excavated a child's body was found in the, in the oyster midden. And it was complete su surprise. They weren't looking for that. And it was a child's body in a, what they call a crouched burial, a fetal position with a blue glass bead and a brass by her, by the rib and a, a brass earring. And so like that, you know, my first published piece came out of literally out of the landscape in, in Sligo. And I think that, that the, the storytelling and that kind of tradition of, of looking at landscape and history has completely um, inspired me. I, I want to say that if you saw where I wrote at, at home, um, I have a desk that looks out at the coal bunkers. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's very uninspiring and I need to work on that. It's, it's actually in a hallway. Um, so I, yeah, I recommend if you can getting a room of your own um, to, to write. This next question, are writers born or made? And I want to like really emphatically say that in my opinion, writers are made. Um, that idea that writers are somehow um, this special brand of people where birth equals worth and they, you know, descend from, you know, some kind of uh, magic place is, is um, I think, is really alienating for people who want to write. Um, it makes it feel like it's a special club, um, an exclusive club um, that you have to be special to get into. 
I think there's probably potential class overtones around that as well about, you know, if you didn't grow up with books or, you know, you didn't uh, finish school, that somehow you're not a writer or, and so I, I, th I think it's a romantic myth um, and, and that it's been exclusive. And I think that writers are made, they're made by their experiences about the things that they've been through, what they've witnessed, what they notice. Um, and I, I would really strongly, you know, um, advocate that position. Um, and I, I feel quite strongly about that. And, and as a teacher who teaches on a writing program, um, I, I also feel protective of, of that concept. So, um, yeah, uh, there's one last question. Um, what are your top three novels you feel everyone should try to read at least once? That's a really difficult question because there's so many. And I think um, when I first looked at that question, I, I was thinking automatically my go-to books tend to be American because I grew up in America. Um, and I, I find myself going back to books that were really formative for me. So the novelist Toni Morrison, um, any novel by her, like I suppose, like Beloved um, and Song of Solomon are the first books of hers that I read, where I just, where I, just the whole, there's magic realism and, and this uh, whole history in the, these books and the beauty of the language, I, I loved them. I was talking today um, to my editor in, who's based in London at Faber, and she was telling me that, I was asking her just about um, how she became an editor, actually. And she was telling me that um, she had done an internship after college um, with, with this uh, publishing house in San Francisco run by a writer called Dave Eggers. And I immediately was like, oh, um, there's a book called A Heartbreaking Work of Staggering Genius. I think it came out in the early 90s. I'm not even sure by Dave Eggers. And it was, I think, one of the most important books I read. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, and for some reason, it made, it inspired me to want to write. Um, I, I always remember afterwards, like keeping a journal and um, maybe he felt like someone not that different to me growing up in a suburb. Um, and Dave Eggers has gone on to like do, he does all these programs to promote writing amongst young people. He's an amazing person. I was, Thinking about Irish writers then and Irish novels, and recently, I, I suppose the Irish novel um, that I really think everyone should have a go at is is Anna Burns's Milkman. Um, I I loved this book. I loved um, the the sort of stream of conscious intensity of it. Um, it took you know it takes a few pages to get into because sometimes you realize a sentence is just going on for a full page and longer, um, but she evokes this world and this whole system um, and obviously referencing Northern Ireland and growing up in Belfast, but without ever naming anything, she just conjures this world. Um, and I, th I think it's brilliant. But I guess ultimately, um, th those are three standout books for me, but I think reading, um, you know, there's, there's just endless novels that you could read. And I think part of the preparation of trying to write is is to really read and read voraciously and read widely and weirdly and 
you know, um, to, to be to step to step into it. Um, that's so. Thank you, thank you so much for all the questions and for having me today. Thought leaders: a closer look for the curious.